Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com Are you struggling personally or professionally because of the coronavirus shutdown? Ready to grow your business and serve more customers and clients? Finally, there's a trustworthy website with resources, relief options, grants, support, and much more for small businesses, nonprofits, and individuals. One location with all the information. It's time to get back to work, life, and reopen America. Visit reopenamericaresourcecenter.com today. The ultimate resource platform to help you in every way. This is Everything Home, the transformational show about life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness delivered by good people doing good business and good things. Let's take the word freedom. Wouldn't it be great to have more professional freedom, personal freedom, and how about financial freedom? Every week, Michelle Swinnick, the queen of quality content, interviews experts, entrepreneurs, professionals, and purpose-driven people to share their stories, their passions, and provide real-life, tangible takeaways. Get ready to be entertained, yet learn some incredible information. This is Everything Home, and this is Michelle Swinnick. This is a very special episode of Everything Home. I am honored to have a conversation with the American billionaire businessman, philanthropist, and one of the greatest investors of this generation, Mr. Foster Freeze. He's going to tell you a little bit more about himself, but what I wanted to share was his ideology and what makes him such a great American patriot. Foster will be turning 80 this year, but he is currently working to promote the founding fathers' principles of free enterprise, limited constitutional government, fiscal responsibility, and traditional American values. He believes that private individuals are called to carry others' burdens rather than relying on the government to do so. And we can find effective, innovative private sector solutions to the many problems we face. Here's some inspiration for you for today. Foster left the Army with $800, a 62 VW, a baby, and a hide a bit. He became successful enough to be able to give away $200 million. Now that is the American dream. Before I bring him on, a shameless plug for our top radio show, podcast, and patriotic purpose-driven platform. All of our episodes are listed on our website, everythinghometalkshow.com. Please check it out. Begin to use it as a resource to meet, learn from, and hire the experts, guests, professionals, and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace. They are truly good people doing good business and good things. People and companies you can trust to provide quality content, products, and exceptional service. You can also follow us on social media. All links are on our website. And don't forget to rate and review Everything Home so you can receive one entry to win a free giveaway in our monthly contest. This episode summary has the links or visit everythinghometalkshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast so you never miss any of our great guests or special segments. Mr. Foster Freeze, how are you today? And thank you so much for coming on Everything Home. 
Well, I'm really glad to be here. But then, uh, I, closing on eighty, I'm I'm glad to be anywhere. And uh, <laughs> I, I love the definition of uh, youth. I don't know if Mandela said this or who, but youth is when your ambitions for tomorrow exceed your accomplishments of the past. And so I'm excited about so many things that lay ahead uh, that I can get engaged with. And I hope I hope my life uh, might be an inspiration to all those guys who are out in the golf course that. Uh, then she will hear this message and say, hey, I'm 80, I'm 85, I'm 79, I should get engaged with some of these things that uh, Foster's doing. And I hope that'll, that'll be a, a outcome of this show. Well, I think that saying you may be an inspiration is an understatement. I mean, your accomplishments and what you're doing now to, as we're going to talk about today on the show, government control versus free markets, you know, changing the message to really get the information through so people can really understand what both of those really mean and the accomplishments that you've had and your sincerity. I mean, I'm encouraging people to watch the video that Turning Point USA did with you. You were the, the pilot episode. And it, this, not only are you so sincere, but you know, I, I love the fact that you are such a firm believer in God and you, you're not afraid to tell people that and, and it's integrated in your personality and your lifestyle and your ideology. And I'm sure it was in your business too. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to be, are proud of those beliefs, but I, I admire you so much for, for letting the world know that that's how you really are. And that's who you really are. Well, I, I wouldn't have gotten where I am uh, today if it weren't for some of those basic biblical messages, you know, all of in Philippians, it says, always consider other people more than important than yourself. And uh, God, in other, in Galatians, uh, when we carry one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. So when you think of all the ways in which we've been set free to serve, when we grasp that vision and that excitement of, hey, we're not here just to make an extra million bucks. We're here to be a channel of God's love to others, and to be his hands and feet in a hurting world, and to be a blessing to every person he puts in our path. And when you get that figured out, it's, uh, it's a pretty joyful life existence. And, you know, I think obviously the, the, the movement right now where they're talking about wealth and prosperity and people with money and billionaires, I mean, the, the left and the media is trying to give it such a bad rap when wealth and, and money and success should be celebrated and rewarded and it should be an inspiration rather than being demonized. And, you know, I think there's a lot of billionaires like yourself and successful people that have those values that it's all about, you know, as you said, we've been set free to serve. And that's probably the reason why you were successful in business is because it wasn't about making the, the, the dollar. And I think a lot of people uh, in your position and your role and your success stature are that way, but you get a bad rap because there is a whole nother side that's trying to make it look like you're the bad people. No, you're not. You're, I mean, who, to give away $200 million, do you know how much many people, people need to understand, you know how much you have to make in order to be able to give that away? That's amazing. And uh, you don't see politicians giving away large portions of their salaries. So, you know, it's... Well, but the uh, reason they don't do that is because they have a lot more fun to give away your and my salary. Why <laughs> 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 like, like give away their own when they can give away ours? And right. you know, at one time, at one time, the used to be considered sin. And, and now envy is embedded in the very fabric of our government. And we've got this entitlement uh, mindset that we're entitled to free education, free health care. But I think it's going to be easy once we can get the megaphone to convince 
uh, the young people of does it really work? I, if you want to uh, get thinking people uh, focus in on this, take eight zeros off the government number. You go on the debt clock, debtclock.com, and you see the wheeling words, uh, the, the, the ad, adding up the dollars just fast as can be. And you take eight zeros off, you'll find you can then compare it to a household or co- compare it to you or me, and you find a person earning $35,000 a year, spending $47,000 a year, and a $12,000 shortfall is adding every year to a $230,000 existing credit card tab. So then Elizabeth Warren and, and, and Bernie Sanders and all these people on the left, well, we'll tell you what we do. We'll just take all these private dollars that are currently going to MD Anderson, Sloan Kettering, Mayo Clinic, and all the doctors, and we'll take those uh, private dollars and move them over to the government uh, financial situation or balance sheet I just revealed to you. So everybody knows that what I just described has to be reduced, not increased. And if they want to do that, uh, Medicare for all, or so uh, they call it socialized medicine. But if you use the term Medicare for all, public option, single payer, it's all code word for government takeover of our healthcare system. And and uh, that has not proven to work very effectively. If you look at the systems in the uh, United Kingdom, for example, and some of the outcomes and long waits they have. Well, even the, the VA, until uh, President Trump came in there and tried to make some, some changes to help, I mean, look at the problems that that, uh, that whole administration organization is experiencing because it's run by the government. It's a perfect example, the DMV. Uh, who, who wants to go there? That's, that is just in, insanity. And you want that all over your entire life? You know, that's, well, that's what think, people aren't realizing. Yeah. I think he's brilliant with uh, when someone in the Veterans Administration system is waiting for an appointment. If a certain amount of time goes by, he's entitled to go to the private system nearest his home and, and uh, Donald Trump will pick up the bill. And, you know, that that's kind of a no-brainer, but it just shows that there are solutions out there to a lot of these uh, problems because there are very few things in the healthcare arena that we would want the government engaged in. It's not only the Veterans Administration where you have a huge wait list, which everybody's familiar with, particularly in the Phoenix uh, Hospital, right? That was mm-hmm. uh, quite a scan- scandal. And then the other operation that the government handles is the military system. There, you don't you don't have hardly any choice. If you have a special rash and you heard a guy in Boston can take care of it, you're in Phoenix, uh, good luck. You're probably not going to get up there. And then thirdly is uh, the Indian healthcare system. And how many jets do you have coming in from foreign countries landing on the Indian reservations to have heart valve put in? So not only is the expense prohibitive and, and completely unrealistic, but what you get once you buy that is, is a lot of lower quality than we have now. 77% of the people apparently are very happy with their healthcare except for the price. And we're doing something pretty exciting uh, to drop the price down, which I can talk talk about a little later if you care. Oh, I definitely. I mean, like you said, you you're working on things at, at the at the age of seventy nine, headed towards eighty, that most people couldn't even handle doing when they were in their twenties, thirties, and forties. So, you know, that that wisdom and insight needs to definitely be shared because it needs to be it needs to be expanded into into more people's their own ideology. But before we kind of go into a deep dive with the government control and free markets on how you're really changing that message so the, especially the younger generation can understand, I would love for you to be able to just give a little bit about your background and talk about how you got to where you are today. So 
so you could serve more of an inspiration where people just go, God, this, that's what I want to be. I want to be foster freeze. We need more foster freezes out there. Well, I, I am blessed in many ways, and I will clearly state that uh, people of success don't get there by themselves. I stand on the shoulders of the 70 people that I hired to execute the mission that we were given by our clients. And God did give me a gift, I believe, of being able to select people. Of the 70 people that we hired in the process, I never had to fire a single person. There were three. There were three I had to graduate onto a new career path. But uh, that's still a pretty good uh, batting order, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just think I, I think growing up in a humble environment where I saw my mom, we, we would go in the basement, butcher chickens and freeze them. And then she would uh, get uh, several bushels of corn and, and, and chop them off the cob and freeze those. So she didn't want to buy any uh, store-bought food. She dropped out of school in eighth grade to pick cotton and save the family farm in Texas. And my dad was a high school graduate who went door-to-door buying and selling cattle from the farmers in northern Wisconsin. So that really let me see the importance of hard work. And my grandfather was incredibly self-willed, independent guy. I remember he said one time, I, I will die before I have to take any welfare. And he, he believed in self-reliance. So I think that that is a, a large part of how God blessed me with that kind of a background, economic background that allowed me to want to succeed. And most of my life, however, it was very self-oriented. I, I was going to I was going to become successful, I think, out of a sense of ego. And uh, I, I remember telling every Sunday morning, Lynn and I had our heads bowed. Oh, our heads bowed. She was in church praying, and I was over a three-foot putt. And my, <laughs> my dedication was just completely to golf and business and, and foster, the, the, three, the three key gods in my life. And it wasn't until someone helped me understand that I need to get on a different path. It was like having a ladder perched up against a wall and I climbed rung after rung after rung. And when I finally got to the top on the roof, there's nothing but pigeons. So someone told me I had to take that ladder down and put it up against another wall. And of course that, that wall was completely diametrically opposed to our human, human nature. God's nature is almost always uh, 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 the opposite of what we as humans decide. It's, it's our human nature to not be forgiving, to hold grudges, to be selfish. And for the whole message that Jesus brought is replace our selfishness with selflessness. In fact, one of the favorite uh, definitions of sin I love is uh, it should be spelled small s, capital I, small n, and sin is really I trouble, my needs, my rights, my feelings, my expectations, me, 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 I, I, I. And so uh, once I learned that that was going to be counterproductive, then it's a challenge. How do you how do you keep that ethic going uh, w- with God's help? Because we always revert back to being selfish. You know, I, I want to decide what movie you go to. And Lynn, uh, you, <laughs> yeah, your, your movie isn't as good as mine. So to be able to yield and to be submissive to the needs of my wife and my kids and my family and my clients is uh, it's described like, uh, as someone said, it's a little bit like inviting Jesus to come into your life to control. And from that point, it's like having two German shepherds fighting on your T-shirt, his nature and, <laughs> and your human nature. And uh, they say, well, which one wins? And it's the one you feed. So I've been blessed to be part of a lot of wonderful Bible studies and teachers who uh, helped me along the trail. I remember one time I was driving my beautiful brand new Audi Quattro car, one of the most expensive cars uh, on the road, and passing me with old 57 beat up Dodge with the Thunder, 
fender wells uh, rotted out and the bumper was all askew. And on the bumper was a purple and right, purple and black uh, bumper sticker. If you love the Lord, tithe. Anyone can honk. <laughs> so I go to my teacher and I said, Phil, I finally bit the boat. I'm, I'm, I'm finally committed to tithing. And he looked at me and he said, you mean to tell me you're still keeping 90% for yourself? So you can never win. <laughs> so you can owe it all to a bumper sticker, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The inspiration, you know, it's interesting that you bring up your your previous. It sounded like before you kind of went a little bit more into the tithing and stayed away from the ego. You know, edging God out. One of our listeners has sent in a question for you, Chris Bolin, and he said, "How did you balance work, life, and family?" So, was did you notice that it changed when you became more into the tithing and, and believing a little bit more in God? I have to say I didn't really do all that great a job on it because I, uh, even after accepting Jesus as the chairman of the board of my life, I was very, very driven to succeed because all these people were counting on me. My high school basketball coach had given me his entire retirement account, the, the widow that uh, you know taught piano to all the people in Wilmington. And so I, I uh, spent a lot of time uh, making sure that I met that commitment. And in most of my life, uh, I, I, I didn't put my family as first. I, I loved that, though once in a while I would uh, wake up in the morning and say, Lynn, uh, in, in, in Ephesians, it says I'm supposed to lay my life down for you. So how can I do that for you today? How can I put you more important than my, my golf, my business, my kids? And bless her heart, she you say, well, would you mind taking out the garbage this morning? <laughs> so she, she wasn't that she wasn't that demanding. <laughs> See, women, it's amazing the patience level that we have, especially uh, when it comes to things like that. So just just as the simplest thing, if you just make my life just a tiny bit easier for five minutes today, she said, okay, I'll stick around. I'll stick around, buddy. Yeah. You're you're good to go. You're good to yeah. go. But but that's a struggle as humans, you know. I once I got on this new path and the ladder was up against another wall. It, it, it started out very badly because uh, I was kind of depressed because I said, okay, now I'm going to be more Christ-like, more giving, more patient, more kind. And uh, it, it took a long time to begin that progress, which if you talk to Lynn, so she'll say the Lord still has a few long months, years of work ahead of me to have, uh, have to kind of get me where I should be. But in, in that process the, the the first uh year or so uh, my kids were in a very uh multicultural school run by quakers with multicultural to them meant you could believe in any religion except christianity because that was too exclusive and you weren't allowed to put on programs so when i decided that uh, we're now going to say grace at meals that didn't go over that great and every thursday night we'd have a bible study before we start our meal like uh what does Philippians 4, 8 mean? Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is deserving praise, uh, dwell on these things. So, uh, and Lynn uh, kind of had an in-house TV evangelist with no off button. So the tensions there for, for a number of months uh, were, were a challenge, and they are to this day. I'm uh, uh, realizing that uh, I finally have to accept my imperfections and flaws, and I think I could be described as a recovering perfectionist. So... So when I want, got to the point and said, hey, if I think I can get right with God because I've become a good person and do all the things right, that's kind of arrogance and call self-righteousness. And so I think God always leaves the, 
a, a fair amount of imperfections and uh, and bad things within my behavior, so that uh, I know I always need I lead I need to lead on him and not on my behavior. Yeah, it's always that little reminder that uh, there's somebody there's somebody else that is running the show. So it kind of just like you had mentioned keeps you a little bit more humble. Well, I like the, the, the sort of the description of going down the road in my car and seeing this hitchhiker on the side with sandals and a robe and keep passing. And one day I finally decided to pick him up and he sits in the back seat. And then after a few uh, more trips, I, I let him uh, sit in the front seat and be my navigator. And things really don't start to happen until I get the back seat and he uh, he takes the wheel. <laughs> oh, you know, so. Well, that reminds, some... that reminds of it. Wait, I was going to say, you probably have tons of stories. You have tons of stories. Yeah, here's, here's one I really like. The Pope comes to New York, and he's picked up by this huge, big, black limousine, uh, Mercedes, and he asks the driver, well, I'd do anything to be able to drive that. And then he drives, go ahead. I got some paperwork to do. I'll get in the back seat. You drive it. Gets pulled over for speeding, and the policeman panics. He goes back to the squad car and calls his supervisor. I don't know if I should give this guy a ticket or not. He's really, really important. Well, who is he? Who is he? I don't know. But he's got the Pope for a chauffeur. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so uh, as far as anything with your business, I just want to uh, highlight some of the accomplishments that you've done so people can really understand who you are if, and how successful you you became over your career. Because you were really a pioneer when it came to a different investment strategy that wasn't being done during the 80s when I, when I believe you started all this. Do you want to kind of highlight a little bit of that? Because it's uh, something to be celebrated for sure. Well, I I first started uh, my own business in 1974 with a terrific slogan, Freeze Associates, serving with honesty and integrity since 1974. I lost a humor by 1976, (laughs) but I kept it anyway. And the strategy was uh, quite different because a lot of my competitors would rely on the research from stock brokerage firms and they'd call up and talk to retail analysts and, well, we think retailing is good. Who do you think? It's well, I'm best in retail and Home Depot, whatever. Whereas our approach was we would go out and visit the company's sites. We talked to not only chief executive officer, but chief financial officer. Then we call uh, uh, competitors, suppliers, and customers. So we were known as a firm that did very, very in-depth original research and didn't rely on the insights of others. The other thing of our strategy was we were looking for companies that were well-financed, good balance sheets, and they were earning money. They had to earn at least $3 million of after-tax earnings and were growing at least 17 18 20% or more. But the key thing was, are they going to do better than people expect? And those are the companies we wanted to find where they closed down some losing plants or they had a product they're selling like hotcakes in Japan that nobody knew about. And so when we, we would consider ourselves more detectives than we were analysts. So we try to find these data points of companies that are doing better. And conversely, we would get out of the way if companies were going to do less well than people expected. So there's a constant matching of how well is a company doing versus expectations. And we, in this in this process, we kind of thought of it as like the rosebud theory. You buy a little rosebud, smaller, lesser-known companies. But again, as I said, with the, with the maturity enough that they had the infrastructure and were doing well. But then uh, when it became a full-blown blossom and all the big institutions, the big banks, they all wanted it. They're, they're appearing at everybody's uh, brokerage trade shows. Then we would harvest that and go back and buy some more uh, rosebuds. So 
that that I think uh, reputation of of uh, a looking for companies that are doing better than people expect, making sure they were sound and, and growing rapidly, and selling at reasonable price earnings ratios. So we never bought the really high flying favorites, which you know, were usually the internet companies, and so we missed that whole internet company uh, surge when they weren't earning any money because it wasn't uh, our criteria. And and then I was just stunned. Uh, uh, last year, uh, during the campaign uh, for governor in Wyoming, uh, what comes out that Forbes magazine announcing that I, along with Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch, and Jack uh, John Templeton, were among the 10 most successful uh, managers of this generation. So that was like eight years after I'd sold the company and came from out of the blue. So I was really blessed with a team of hard-hitting people who uh, – who, when they came in that door at uh, 8.30 in the morning, they were like walking into a prize ring and uh, fighting the good fight till the final bell sounded at 4 p.m. Yeah, it's all about hard work, right? I mean, that's that's kind of probably the, the basis for a lot of your success, would you say? It's the, the hard work and dedication that you had to grow the business? Well, you know, people say, if you work hard enough to just keep going, never give up, uh, you'll succeed. And uh, I've seen a lot of restaurants where the people were very dedicated. They had a great product, but, you know, restaurants have a hard time existing despite how hard the people work. So I always counsel my team and my my family and say, if you, you run into a wall, you first try to jump over it. Can't do that, tunnel under it. Can't do that, run around the end of it. And and uh, if you can't jump over it, tunnel under it, to go around, then maybe you need to head in a different direction. And so uh, I love the story Mike Huckabee tells. Uh, he was a catcher at 11 years old in Little League in Arkansas, where all the games were broadcast play by play on the Little League. So one night, one day in a game, he breaks his little finger. The owner of the station says, Mike, go up and do the local color, which he did great. You know, coming to bat right handed, Mike Ingram batting 325, second baseman, uh, 14 RBIs. So one day the announcer gets sick, and he says, go ahead, take it. 11-year-old kid gets in there and did an awesome job. And the owner said, when you're 14 years old, the Federal Communications Commission will allow me to hire you, which he did. And how can he said that launch his radio career, his TV career, his governorship, it all stemmed. He can see from that. And here's his punchline. Sometimes your detour is your destiny. Hmm. Yeah. So many, people, so many people don't know when to change directions. That God is telling them, hey, you're not. I remember how crushed I was when. I, I was 12 years old and realized I couldn't be a horse jock anymore because I was weighing too much. Or even then, when I was four or five years old, we played cowboys and Indians. When I found out I couldn't be an Indian, I was crushed there. But I survived and shifted fields and had new goals and moved in a different direction. And, you know, that's that's amazing advice is to actually just be aware of that. And, and uh, if it's supposed to work out, it's, it's somehow it's going to. And there's that shift. And I'm sure that that came up within your in your business at some point where you, you realize this may not work and, you know, I'm getting a little pushback. I got to go over this direction. Well, the nice thing about our investment work, there's metrics that assess how we're doing at the end of every day. And to have those metrics is a powerful tool. But in most life, in, in the nonprofit field and philanthropy and all the other things that people do, how do you develop the metrics to know how you're doing? Uh, sometimes people work on projects and they never they, they might be writing a book well after six months uh, how how far along are they and then they never know how the book will be read 
So the, the, I found that it's, it's so important to keep metrics and to manage uh, manage your time. I was sort of fanatical about it. In fact, I'm sure the psychiatrist who's listening would call me neurotic or something. But <laughs> I would I would have a timesheet, and every time I changed behavior, I would enter on this log this sheet of paper which had five minute increments. So I say eight uh, fifteen arrived at the office. Eight twenty five read Wall Street Journal. Eight thirty took a call from my golf pal. Eight uh, eight fifty called the chief executive officer. And at the end of the day, I draw a line that uh, along everything that was making money for clients, that was a green line. And another line that was blue that was uh, attracting or holding clients. For me to succeed, I had to do two things: attract clients and make money for them. And so that was the green, and, and but spending time talking was blue, and then everything else was red. And I tried to get the red down to a minimum. Uh, I would be able to call, have my secretary call over to the drugstore where I would have lunch. Uh, I would get over there, and there'd be laying my triple thick shake and a double hamburger. I'd scarf it down. I could be back in my office in 17 minutes. And then I hired people to do everything that I didn't need to do. So I leveraged myself with other people. And uh, on this time log, at the end of the day, I would make a note, what did I accomplish? Some days it was very, very sketchy. She was wound up looking out the window or talking to golf pals too much, which is a red line. And then there's other days when I, when I uh, wasn't as, uh, I, I'm not as productive, but that's the day I made a 100,000 share commitment to a given company or brought in a $3 million client. And so there's a difference between being efficient and being effective. You can be highly, highly efficient, but you have to be working on the right things and and accomplish the right things. So it's best if you uh, are efficient on working on the things that really count. Now, you had mentioned that you're kind of a recovering perfectionist. What was the advice that you would give on other perfectionists who, let's just say they're doing a time log like you're doing, and then they don't feel like they accomplished enough during the day and they're beating themselves up? And obviously that can't be that healthy. I mean, I, I do the same yeah. thing myself, but what, what's yeah, your advice yeah. on that for well, these well, business the people? Advice, the advice uh, at the end of the day is you uh, hold your tent and, and uh, uh, close your briefcase, go home, uh, hug, hug your wife and kids, and uh, today is the new day. I think we have to take each day in day-tight day compartments. We, we can't worry about tomorrow or or, uh, or, or fret about our mistakes of yesterday, but take each day as it comes. In fact, there's a golf uh, psychologist, I think his name's saying Rutelli. He talks to a golf pro, be in the moment. By that he means don't, don't be stewing as you walk to the next tee, the fact that you missed a four-foot putt. And don't be thinking, gee, if I get three more pars, I'll score this. You have to think about that one shot that's right in front of you. And so it is in business. What is it you can do right now that's going to move you towards your goal? And to achieve that, I developed a three-by-five index card system. I had different colors. Blue ones, I wrote all my personal goals I had to get a haircut, hire someone to uh, uh, cut cut my grass, or, or just open up the beach house. And then I had a red card for all my business uh, uh, objectives, open an office in Jackson, hire a new accountant. redecorate the uh, conference room and then the yellow cards for all my targets that I wanted to invest in check out United Widget check out international business machines and so each each Monday I'd go through those three packs of cards pick out the ones that are most important that I wanted to accomplish that week and then 
put them in order of priority and always work in the top card. It's so easy. In fact, I still get in this trap myself. There's A priorities and C priorities. And I'll sometimes get on the plane and say, gee, why not go through my briefcase and get rid of all this junk that's accumulated? They're all C priorities. And throw them and toss them so I'll have more time to spend on the A priorities. Huge mistake, huge mistake. Instead, you let those just lay there until they become irrelevant and they're no longer important because of time of passage or they become a, a, a priority. You know, the income tax, filling out your income tax is more important on April 14th than it was in February. But but the the important thing then, if you work on that top card and are always moving on it, that will achieve. So take the an A priority and put it into bits rather than trying to work on all these little C priorities. And so that organization of my time where I was focused on what's the most important thing I should be doing right now. And that three by five card system helped me do that. Well, you know, in, in today's modern technology where everything is an app and it's so far advanced and this, this and the automation and all that, it sounds like going back to the basics, something simple to just even put it on these cards might most like even be more effective than all these these gadgets and everything else because it, it allows you really to to see and then, like you mentioned, to prioritize. So I think uh, yeah, I be, think you should implement because, a new product for that. It sounds like people yeah. would appreciate that. Well, well, the, the new product I, I could make a fortune selling three by five index cards, couldn't I? <laughs> exactly, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I think that'd be but, brilliant. But you're right. A lot of these uh, time management apps really. I had a hard time, for instance, I experiment with them, and I list 15 things I want to have done. But then when the priorities would shift, it was always difficult to move number 13 up to 8, whereas uh, every time I went through the cards, or just shuffling the cards, which physically was so much easier to do. And then when I finished the project, they have the emotional feedback of ripping the card up and throwing it away. <laughs> it was kind of a, a reward that, hey, I got that behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it almost is, you know, like you said, going back to the basics and simplicity really can allow you to focus better. I mean, there's a lot of distractions that people have in their businesses now between social media, websites, and texting, and then all these different messaging, as opposed to just picking up the phone. I mean, do you think that it's more difficult now to succeed in business in general, or was it more difficult back then when you had less resources? Oh, yeah. heavens, heavens. No, I'm just amazed at what the technology has been able, has enabled us to do. In fact, I have the strategy of doing everything in written format. And tonight, when you uh, have a few minutes, take a page out of Business Week or any magazine, no picture, just pure, pure copy. Read it to yourself quietly. Time yourself. It probably should be a minute and 40 seconds. Then read it out loud to yourself in time. It should be three minutes. So I got my whole team gathered standing up in, in our conference room because I, I had a policy of no meeting. And when we did have a meeting, it was in a room with no chairs. So there they were, and I had to go through this exercise. And a light bulb goes on when when suddenly you realize your eyes are faster than your ears. But then I had them take a pencil and paper and say, okay, now write this out. Well, it would take them a half hour to write that one page out. So the eyes are faster than the ears. You can read something faster and you can listen to it. But the tongue is faster than the pen. You can say something faster than you can write it out. So we're at cross purposes. If, if, if we want everything coming into a written format, 
I have to put it into written format. And so we designed a system where I have an 800 number. I, I hit it, and there's a, uh, I, I dictate what I want to say. There's a live transcriber at the other end who corrects my grammar, arranges sentences, and within about 30 seconds, that will hit your inbox. So, so you're going to be stunned when I'm about ready to say my next sentence will stun you. I told all my guys I didn't want any of you talking to each other. So what that meant, if someone, if, if you and I were teammates and I had something to say to you, you might be in the next office, but I would never walk in there and, and say, uh, well, for example, my, my secretary, I would never walk in and say, hey, I need a trip to Atlanta on Friday. Today's Wednesday. Can you set it up or get me there at 5 o'clock? Nor would I buzz around the phone to interrupt her. Because if I did that, she might be talking to someone important. And so just uh, Foster's buzzed me. Let me call you back. Hangs up, takes my message for the flight. And then calls back, and, and the person's not there anymore. So the system I worked, none of my teammates were ever interrupted by any of the other team. They just read the emails and faxes that came across their decks. And because of the dictation system, they never had to put their fingers on a key on a keyboard. So because of that, our productivity per employee got over to $1.2 million of profit per employee. Not revenues, but profit. Of course, we're in a different business where if you take on a new $100,000 fee, for example, 95000 comes down the bottom line. So that's kind of a distorted figure. But I just think it emphasizes that if I stay off the telephone, stay out of meetings, and stay out of stores, my productivity soars. And so if I want a pair of slacks or a pair of shoes, I send my aide. To, to go pick them up, pick up three pairs, bring them back. If I don't like one pair, back they go. And I make that decision to buy a new pair of shoes or pants in about seven minutes versus 40 minutes to find the clerk, to try them on, all that sort of stuff. So time management was a key, key thing for me, which, uh, which was very important in my success. So would you say that is the biggest business lesson that you learned and that time management is really what is what you need to control to d- make your success where it needs to be. That's the only re- resource I have. I came out mm-hmm. of the army with $800 of cumulative pay. I didn't have millions of dollars to reinvest and get a return on those dollars. I could only get an investment on my time. So if I, if I could, uh, right now, the, the other day, I had a friend who resisted this idea of my dictation system where I, all day long, I hit something called Windscribe, which is just a fancy uh, recording system that goes into live transcribers. And I'll, all day, I'm, I'm giving instructions, uh, answering questions back and forth. The other day, this friend says, well, I, I need to talk. I, 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 I want to be on the phone to, to get, for some reason, he had to do that. I said, if I did that, do you realize how my product, productivity would shrink? And the next day, I wrote back to him. I responded to incoming and outgoing communications, uh, 235 different communications. Now you tell me you try to do that on telephone because I could see an incoming email and I could just hit my button, dictate an answer, bang, it's done. So all of these strategies and the business success and where you are today, if we were in a socialism society, which you're renaming it as government control, none of this would ever have been able to happen. Well, none yeah, of it. Think of, the thrill, think of the thrill I'd have of being a $90,000 government employee. Well, that'd be fun. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, I wanted people to understand really 
all the things that are possible when you have such an amazing system that we do now, which is capitalism, as you're rebranding it, the free market. I mean, none of the things that you could have done or any of the other successful people could be accomplished by being in a, in a socialistic government control environment. Then that's you know what these young kids are brainwashed. Like we said, they're indoctrinated since they're in school. I mean, the scary thing that came out a couple of months ago is 70% of millennials say that they would vote for a socialist. Oh my God. Well, like that's just crazy. Well, it is crazy, but I don't think that's hard to completely eradicate all their indoctrination. If you can just get information to them in, in a message form, like I, like I, an example I gave, I'm taking eight zeros off the government numbers. Any millennial is going to understand the implications of that. And also, kids at that age are very, very idealistic. And they think socialism is a way that it treats people fairly, but it damages people. It inhibits their inability to make decisions to move on to different careers because they're, they're the government jobs now. And you have, to, you, have, you have to apply to a whole different system as opposed to just going out and doing it. And, and think of all the people you know who say, well, I think I'll, I'll just start a new cookie recipe or I think I'll design some new clothes. That doesn't happen in a government control system. So these young people who have been indoctrinated, if you start telling them what happens in socialistic systems where the the people who are supposedly helped are are devastated. I I just spent four days in Havana where everybody gets $35 a month in the hotel if you're a maid or behind a clerk or a desk or whatever. Uh, And there, the people that are to be helped are victimized. I, when I was in Russia in the 70s, there were uh, stores that only tourists could go into and the high-level Communist Party leaders. But the everyday steep guy, he didn't have an option to buy those expensive goods. And the, the socialist becomes uh, controlled by the elitists, the people that we know better. Think of Bloomberg. Uh, openly saying, well, we ought to tax these things that are unhealthy for people, you know, from 24-ounce sodas to whatever he wants to tax, even though the taxes paid by the low-income people is good for them because their health will improve. People don't want to be controlled. They they know how they get overweight. They it, it, It's pretty simple. Everybody knows it's a function of exercise and calories in and calories out. So we don't need the government telling us how to do that. And I think it's going to be an easy sell to get these young kids on board with free markets and freedom, which resonates better than capitalism. But the the issue there is, is you've got the, the left and the media promoting great things about socialism, where maybe the message isn't getting to them because they're listening to the, the wrong medium sources and social media well, in general. I mean, most of the people get their, their, their information from like Facebook. Um, if they're promoting well, junk, well, then junk goes in the ears. However, we have the same access to Facebook and all these social media as, as the left does. It's just a function if we want to take the time to do it. It's like I said earlier, how many uh, people in their 70s and 80s are not engaging in, in the struggle? I mean, we have a cultural war taking place, and they've decided not to fight back or contribute. And they, they could do an enormous amount of help. For example, in, in the election coming up, if you're in a state that's wired for, for, for Republicans and Trump, you, they sit back a lot of a vote and that's it. 
but they should be led by our uh, by the Republican Party to take the, uh, uh, there's a, a technology on their phone that they can put on as an app, and they can call people in the in the swing states. If if uh, Iowa is going to go for Trump, all the people in Iowa could be calling people in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio. That 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 they just they need to be led to do that, and I think. We have a huge opportunity when you look at how President Trump has used the social media tweets. Everybody chastises him for it because they're sometimes obnoxious, but he controls he controls the message. And that, mm-hmm. that's, we have the same opportunity by what we send out. So we should harness it. Are they taking your advice, the, the people that actually have the ability to do that? And I know that you've, you've, got, your, you've well, got your own messaging and platform and fosters outriders, too. There's a... Yeah. Well, it's almost I, like I, I just you got to do it yourself. Yeah. It sounds like, huh? Yeah, I, I put together six videos. One with one was dealing with the environment. How the uh, Richard Nixon, the Republicans, uh, founded the Environmental Protection Agency. How how the pollution since then has declined declined seventy five percent. How we are the cleanest air of any G eight country in the world when it comes to SM two point five, which is the pollutant has small particles that cause asthma and things, and so. Those kind of messages getting out, and one on immigration, another one on healthcare, one on uh, uh, freedom of uh, parental freedom and for educational. Uh, well, empower. Here, here's our new slogan to replace school choice. School choice should really be called empowering parents for educational freedom. Now, the only problem is we have to have cars with longer bumper stickers <laughs> to, to deal with that. Uh, but but the message the message is is different than school choice because star parker a black activist who says mm-hmm. when you use school choice they they then believe the black community thinks that the school decides so the more we can use different words to basically understand that this is the message that's important uh, to to empower parents to choose to break the lock on this indoctrination system you're talking about and i it, 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 as far as people Responding to it, I, I called a, a meeting in Washington, D.C. at a restaurant uh, three days ahead of time, and six congressmen and three senators showed up. And one of the new congressmen said, hey, I want a pack of those, pack of those to take back my staff, my staff. And what I created is a little card about the size of a business card, and on the front was a picture of my mom kind of up in the clouds, and it says, remember mom, please. And one of the things I did is always made sure my mom would, would be able to read instead of a leading company in the manufacture of prosthetics. No, this is a leading company made replacement arms and legs. This is not a leading company in the home infusion market. No, this is a leading company that uh, provided people in their homes to be able to get drugs administered to them. And so all these terms, CR, exculpatory information, and then the big one, acronyms. Never, ever, ever use an acronym. And I, I give the example of how I train all my people. You say Central Intelligence Agency, you say Federal Bureau of Investigation, because then your mind will be trained. You won't do what a doctor did to me when I have breakfast. My wife got her EOB the other day. I'm supposed to know that's explanation of benefit? Give me a break. Mm. And so there's all these acronyms that people use that if you're part of the freeze team, they're, they're forbidden. And it helps <laughs> communicate. It helps communicate a lot easier. So people can understand uh, what Humphreys would get. So uh, I had a little card of examples on it. And the guy says, hey, I want 10 or 12 of those. And he took them back to his whole uh, staff. So I, I also tell them, 
you should have the politicians, you should have a stadium speech. Well, what's a stadium speech, Foster? Uh, it's a stadium speech is when the bands have agreed not to play at halftime, so you can articulate your ideas on health care to 70,000 fans in a packed football stadium to see if your remarks get a cheer, a boo, or a yawn. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the leaders of a plan, the American Health Care uh, Plan, I said, your, your, your idea of putting $26 billion of federal money to uh, shore up these risk pools and states, it's a yawn. But instead of calling them high risk pools, you call them a safety net, you would get a cheer. People say, oh, a safety net, that makes more sense than a high risk pool. So there's a lot of, even the term Medicaid, Medicaid really is a safety net. And so we have to help people in Washington come up with words that mom freeze understands, plus the 70% of Americans who haven't graduated from college. 70.4% of Americans have a great wage power. Let's talk to them rather than to, to, to our fellow senators and congressmen. I think what we need to do in that regard is instead of relying on our perfection, if we rely on God's perfection, then if we're in union with him, we get judged by who Jesus is, not who we are. Christianity is the only monotheistic religion uh, of of all the others where it's the reverse. Most of the other monotheistic religions are based on what man does for God, giving money, tithing, going to church, walking ladies across the street, being kind, being polite. And, And Christianity, the message Jesus delivered is that's the only, that will never, ever work. We're, we're not put in, in, in step with God by what we do, but what he did for us. So if you look at my hand starting the bottom and, and trying to rise up to meet the expectations that God has for us or we have for ourselves, that will always fail. And so if we can accept the fact that God did for us through the mystery of Jesus' death, uh, you know, how do we understand it and comprehend it as, as a human being and our human logic? But that differentiates the relationship. So we no longer rely on our scorecard, so to speak. God does not grade on a curve, and all of us have fallen short. That's one of the nice things about the, the, the relationship with, with the Lord is that we're all fallen, we're all a mess <laughs> and we need, mm-hmm. we need to, we're all broken. And so how, how do we get restored to that by what we do? Can we fix ourselves? No, we can't. And so someone described it as, is you look, God looks down on my uh, upraised palm hand. He looks down, he sees a lot of dirt in the, the palm. And then when we ask Jesus to come on top of that, to cover it, he looks down and he sees the purity of his son and and grades us or accepts us because of that him rather than because of who we are and and as a any perfectionist can get great relief from that from the whole idea hey I don't have to perform and when I screw up I'm forgiven seven times seven no seven seventy times seven. And so the whole ability to accept forgiveness of oneself, which is hard to do, makes it very, very difficult not to be forgiving of others. And so if you look at the culture, in addition to capitalism versus socialism or free markets versus government control, we have another uh, uh, contrast that is right in line with that, and that is secularism versus the Judeo-Christian value system. Under the free markets and free choice and responsibility, 
we have we have the Judeo-Christian value system that drives that, and under the whole idea of government control and and I, my significance comes from from my having power. That's driven by a secular worldview. So so the the people who want to control because that will give them a sense of meaning are primary secular people, and and, and secular people do not have the same Judeo-Christian value system of of um, my worth is not determined by my prestige my status my my uh, my materialism in fact i once i've given a little uh, essay or uh, about the big four uh, the four things that all people have to deal with since the beginning of time i don't care if you're born in a mud hut in africa 3000 years ago or a silver spoon in your mouth up in manhattan 30 years ago first one is fear not just falling off high places or snakes, but fear of loneliness, fear of uh, success sometimes. But the biggest one is fear of bad health, fear of financial ruin, fear of failure, and for teenagers, fear of rejection. Second one is the notion of guilt. Things that we know we did that we shouldn't have done, but things that we failed to do. If only I'd studied hard in college. If only I'd hung out of that stock I sold at eight that's now at 800. If only I'd been nicer to Aunt Tilly before she passed on. All these what ifs that we carry through life. So the issue of guilt is the second thing that people have to come up with answers with. And answers that we come up with those will determine our degree of dysfunctionality or success. And the third is the issue of love, which is tied into relationships. And C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The Four Loves. Storge, the love has a parent for a child. Helios, brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Three is Eros, from which we get the word erotic. I love ice cream. So we see these soap operas where the fellow says, I love this woman. He loves her the same way he loves ice cream. He wants to enjoy her for his own benefit. He doesn't give his life for her. And then Jesus talked about the fourth love, agape. And when I heard this definition of what true love really is, I was stunned because love is not an emotion. Love is not an emotion. It's the act of the will to want something for someone or do something for someone that is in that person's best interest without expecting anything whatsoever in return. Now, how hard is that if we don't have some spiritual component to drive us to help us to do that? Our human nature says, gee, we did this for him. He didn't even thank us. We always want something back. And so the fourth thing that we have to deal with is is significance, fear, guilt, love, significance. Why do I get up in the morning? What's my excuse for being born? Why uh, am I here? And again, getting back to the Judeo-Christian value system, we know that God exhorts us through his entire scripture is to be a channel of his love to others, to be his hands and feet in a hurting world, and to be blessing every person he puts in your path. What's, what's the paradigm for a secular person? Power, prestige, status, mm-hmm. If I have a PhD, I'm more important than the guy who hasn't graduated from high school. If I'm president of the Rotary Club, I'm more important than the guy who's just a member. If I have a big house, a big car, I'm more important than the guy who you know, has old shabby clothes and a beat-up old uh, car. So materialism, power, prestige, status, escapism is another solution people took to these big four. You join the French Foreign Legion, your problems don't go away. Some people escape into golf or they escape into hobbies or escape into shopping. And, and so these big four 
have to be dealt with the right answers. And in my life, I found that the Judeo-Christian value systems and all that it represented rescued me from a life of, of pure, unadulterated, secular selfishness. Now, would Making you say food? that, oh, it, it's brilliant. I, I, the amount of notes that I've been taking, uh, especially, I, I loved the, the excerpts that you were talking about from the C.S. Lewis book. Now, did all of this come together for you when you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s, recently? I mean, when did, when did you have this shift? Well, it started, uh, the insight that I just shared on the Big Four started uh, when I probably was in my 30s, where I and a, a pastor friend helped me design or develop this concept with a three-page paper with Jim Dobson, put it on his radio show. And uh, I, a little elderly lady, lady asked me, Dr. Fries, could I have your book? And uh, I, I, I wasn't a doc. I didn't have a doctor at that time. I've had some subsequent uh, honorary degrees, but I said, I'm not a doctor. And here's my three page essay. And the, the, the title was alcoholism is not a problem. It's a solution until you figure out what it's a solution to. You can't help that person. Is he dealing with fear? Is he dealing with guilt? Is he dealing with love and relationships going awry? Is in a in capacity to express love or embrace love and receive love? Or is he uh, low self-esteem, his lack of significance? And invariably, those four I mentioned, you will you will not find too many other reasons why people go to these various solutions. Again, they become you know they cause dysfunctionality. And and so you, you have this fellow who decides alcohol or drugs is a way to deal with any one of the four of them or a combination of them. And the two most acceptable in our society solutions, overworking and overeating. If we put in 60, 70 hours a week, we must be significant. And sometimes it's a way of dealing with our guilt. Gosh, I was I didn't do this for a well, but look how well I did in my job. And then, you know, you you look at uh, the human beings, especially in America, 80% of us are not as as trim as the, the Bible says, you know, God, uh, our, our body is God's temple. And I struggle to this day with like 20 pounds. I, I do fine until I spot a pizza or a jar, jar of peanuts and I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, okay to splurge a little. You know, I don't expect you to eat fruits and vegetables every day, uh, only fruits well, and vegetables. Well, yeah, but but see, here was another example of I I, I was so upset with myself that that I that I couldn't I I couldn't give that up. I I, I remember going to hardly eating anything all day long. Went to the gym. This is when I was in my forties. Played basketball for an hour and a half, and I had probably zero caloric intake and all this exercise. And then I went to the pizza store and ate a full full house pizza and a pitcher of beer. <laughs> so it just didn't work for me. <laughs> so I, I'm one of those I'm one of those people who needs uh, God's forgiveness almost every day in his grace and that's that's what gives me my joy, not my uh, not my feeling that boy, am I ever a nice guy. I sometimes tease my friends say, Gee, you're such a nice guy. So yeah, I have to do something to justify it. So I'll I'll give him a dozen golf balls or something. <laughs> But you know that's what I, I mentioned in the very beginning. You are a nice guy. You're genuine, and it's it's uh, there's not a lot of people that are of your caliber, especially when it comes to the success that you've had. That are humble. That are there to that really want to help people. That want to share information. That want to do good. I mean, a lot of times people well, at, at eighty they slow down, and you're like, no, no, I'm just getting started. 
This is the fourth quarter. I got to get more points on the board. <laughs> I don't know. I sound but, like it but, might be the third quarter. I don't think you're in the fourth yet. I don't no, think I you're there. I, I, have a, I have a friend whose father lived to be 103. He says, Foster, my dad told me four things. One, all things in moderation. Two, have something so excited planned for tomorrow morning and hardly wait to get out of bed. And three, associate with young people. And four, be very careful how you pick your parents because genes count. I just had another thought <laughs> pop in my head where uh, I, I think to have a great day, you need a rep every day. What is a rep? R is for relationship time. You need to spend time with people, going to lunch or golfing or some relationship time with other human beings. Two, you need exercise. And three, you need productivity. One morning, I got up like 4.30, couldn't sleep, put my bathrobe on, went into my office in my home, got on my computer. And I, holy mackerel, it's 4 o'clock. I got like three days' work done. I should have felt so excited, which I was pleased to have that amount of productivity. But I had no exercise and had no interaction with people, and I felt kind of flat, and it wasn't a great day like it should have been. So now I'm very careful to make sure I get that relationship time. And and as far as exercise, we all know that exercise creates uh, a serotonin in our brain and and uh, also endorphins in our muscles. So that you know, every time I do get, let's say, 30, 40 minutes on a treadmill with 100, 110 beats a minute, when it's done, a whole different feeling of, of well-being that is generated by that exercise. So that's my... Uh, that's my tip to, to the world. Have a rep, relationships, exercise, productivity. Now, when you're doing the exercise, do you get ideas, like new things that you want to work on or a solution to something? Because when I'm doing that, I notice, boom, I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, that's why I got to keep exercising. Well, sometimes I'm at my workout place where I'm on an elliptical and I have five TV stations on the wall in front of me and I can toggle from one to three to five, just follow whatever those five different uh, television casts are expressing. So I, I get kind of up to date and absorbed with uh, the, the news of the day. And other days I'll just take a hike up up the bluff behind my house where it's very steep and I get my heart rate up to 110, 115, 20 very easily. And during that time I take my phone with me and some Bose headsets so I'm connected in and I can just uh, dictate in you know, my phone. So during a Let's say an hour hike, 45-minute hike, I will maybe make 12, 14 different dictations of things that I feel need to be done and, uh, you know, encouragement to uh, to the rest of the team to, hey, we got to move ahead on this project. Let, let me let me share a minute because one of the most important projects I'm working on right now is very, very impactful because it affects uh, 20% of our gross national product, the healthcare industry. And been working on since before Romney was the nominee on healthcare reform. And right now we are very close to having introduced into the House and the Senate the following one-line piece of legislation. Harry Reid told me you might get the intention of transparency that this legislation entails, but I doubt you'll ever get Congress to agree to do a one-line piece of legislation. So if we can make this happen and be revolutionary, and that legislation is quote every. I'm oh, sorry. Let me start. Over. All providers of healthcare products and services to the public, to the public, are required to publish cash, cash prices on the internet 
and in print 90 days after close quote. I cannot find a Hillary supporter, a Bernie supporter, a Warren supporter who, when I articulate that, doesn't give me a high five. Go through the grocery store and on the street corner and just everybody you ask, what would you think of this uh, idea? And everybody wants it because uh, I had a classic example. I think I don't know more dramatic than this that might exist, but I had what's called a deep vein thrombosis on my on my right knee two years ago. Notice I didn't say DVT, and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it. it uh, it required me to go to get a blood check to see the coagulation factor of my blood. The doctor said, go to uh, the hospital. I call up as $146, but they volunteer. volunteer. If you pay cash, we'll do it for 73 I got that exact same test one mile away at, at Sonora Quest. You know, these labs are spread mm-hmm. about 13 weeks. Not for 73 but for 13 Wow. 13 now, also, I have there's a little website that your listeners might enjoy copying onto, which tie in. It's called patients, uh, patientsusa.com. Patientsusa.com. And on there, there's a little video of a guy trying to figure out what it's going to cost to have his wife deliver a baby. And he expressed a, a, uh, a study done by Yale Medical School of 863,000 pregnancies, of which are about 4.2 million every year. And they found in the study differences in room costs, room costs between $1,800 and 11,000. Independent oh of health and anything else. Yeah. So there's all kinds of that. And now there's a big trend of people moving to direct provider care. Uh, you pay your doctor $65 a month. If you have a kid, you pay 25 An additional kid is 10 And so that gives you health care with no deductibles, no co-pay. That's it. And so that is sweeping the country. Uh, uh, and so therefore, being able to know what things cost is a huge element of that. Plus, there's a lot of people who are going naked now. They're not giving insurance. One friend called me up and said, Foster, I know you've been working on health care reform since before Romney, and I'm sure you know what's going on, but I just got my letter from the insurance company, and it's the only insurance company in the state. There's no choices, and they're going to charge me a $23,000 premium, and I have four kids and $9,000 deductible. I'm exposed to $32,000, and, and uh, I have to pay that after tax. I'm a musician. I can't, I can't handle that, so what do I do? I put them in touch with these health sharing ministries. The big granddaddy is MediShare, M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E, which came into existence uh, when the uh, Affordable Care Act came into being, where the Mennonite and the Amish said, hey, we've never used insurance our entire lives. Our community takes care of themselves. And so they were given a waiver. And as a result, other Christians piggybacked on that, who were Baptists and Catholics and whatever. Catholics use uh, one, I'm told, called Solidarity Share. And so I think there's, I don't know how many there's, there's Good Samaritan Share, and, and uh, but you, you have to have a Christian lifestyle. But he, as a Jewish guy, said, I found Liberty Share, where the Christian requirements weren't anything I couldn't live with. With MediShare, I believe you can be a moderate drinker, but you know, I, if, if you don't have a wholesome uh, life other than that and, and certain other things, you can't become a 
a member and it's not an insurance policy. It's, you put in a savings account with them and then uh, I get sick and they tap your savings account and a whole bunch of other people's savings accounts to pay all my bills. But they get like 30, 40% savings on magnetic resonance imaging machines. I didn't say MRI. And, and, uh, <laughs> that was brilliant. It, 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 that was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, you caught me off guard. No, no, so, I'm like, medical yeah, yeah. red. I'm like, oh, that's so sneaky. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So, but but, but between, these, between these health sharing ministries, which are exploding, MediShare has delivered billions of dollars of health care dollars. The one knock I heard on Liberty is that they're slow pay, but the guy says, look, I've been on it for two years. I, my premium went from 32000 to 6000 So I can take that uh, $26,000 savings after two years. I got 52000 sitting in my bank account that I would have had. I can afford to wait a little bit until they wind up paying me. Right. But, but uh, so, so with that, this, this, uh, uh, passage of this is important. And Steve Hilton on Fox News, he has this show. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, very, he's night. very eager. Yeah, he's very eager to roll uh, once we uh, get the uh, thing introduced. And there's a senator and a congressman who say they're about ready to introduce it. But with the impeachment things, that slowed things up. And then uh, uh, both John Kyle, who served 26 years in the Senate, is retired, is uh, willing to help me write a letter to all the different legislator to uh, uh, encourage them to get behind a sponsor. And then uh, the, the other person, Jim DeMint, who's head of uh, mm-hmm. conservative, uh, he, he, uh, he says, hey, uh, let, me, let me help you make this happen. Because you know, so often when you're a donor and, and you say, Foster, I really love that idea. And they kind of tap you on the head and then you never hear anything happening, except when they call up for the next cycle and they're looking for another campaign donation. So, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes I can be a, a victim of that. And uh, there's so many dollars out there, $517 million in 2017 that went uh, to to uh, lobbying and uh, campaign donations from the uh, hospital insurance and pharmaceutical companies. And the patient, how many dollars contribute to, to promote our cause? Zero. So in this patientsusa.com is a video that starts up. It's less than a minute and shows how there's uh, there's four chairs at this table, and you've got the insurance companies, hospital companies, the pharmaceutical companies, but the empty chair is empty and it's got patients in front of it. Then we have a patient who's got her arm in a, in a sling and a crutch sits down, and she says to the senator across the table, "We might not have a lot of money, but we have lots and lots of votes." And so we're hoping. If we can get the patient to finally develop a voice that can somehow offset that of what is commonly called uh, the cartel, the three groups I mentioned. So when you approach these politicians, are they kind of surprised that somebody who is a big donor is actually leading a movement and cause that's helping the consumer and people? Then that's why they're more responsive, because you're not just writing a check. You're actually there going, here's my strategy. Here's my plan. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a little uh, both. I uh, was able to coalesce five chairmen and three U.S. senators at a meeting. And one of the senators told me afterward, I've been trying to hold a meeting like that and called me like for five, six months. But as a senator, you know, they don't listen to me. And donors do not realize the influence that can have of being able to, to, to coalesce a meeting like that. Because, uh, you know, there's other donors that I'm associated with that are just beyond you know my my giving but 
I, I think also, I think the political people in D.C. like me because I never ask them for something for me. I never ask, hey, can you give me a subsidy for so I can build this hotel or can you approve this, make this happen so this will happen. It, it's Everything I've asked them is for the little guy. And in my governor's campaign in Wyoming, I had a very emotional moment where I was going to various factories and I went into a place where there were eight welders and they showed me how to weld and I put a couple of pieces of metal together and I felt so proud of myself just to look what I did. And so then I have a picture as I depart and I saw the picture later. There I was in the middle with a white, white, white shirt. And around me were eight guys that were just sooty and dirty and just working all day as welders. And I said, these are the guys they want to champion. And the, the elite in our, our society, including Republicans, they have this money like it's monopoly money. It, it, I, I, from my dear, dear friends who are very hardcore, responsible, conservative businessmen, uh, I sit on the board of trustees of uh, the University of Wyoming, uh, uh, delegated has uh, spent $500,000 for the university to come up with a new slogan. We're increasing anyway. And so I, I, I look at that and I look at my eight Walder guys and say, you know, that puts pressure on them to pay higher property taxes, higher sales taxes, but it's like monopoly money in Washington, D.C. You cannot believe the amount of things that uh, get spent because some congressman thinks that the uh, it's, it's going to be very helpful to their district. Well, it's, you know, the waste, fraud, and abuse. I mean, the, the, the report that came out last year, I believe, was $150 billion. Was a, and then the uh, Citizens Against Government Waste, I mean, they came up with some recommended cuts. And in the first year, it could save something like $433 billion, and over five years, $3.9 trillion, and no one would miss it. And none, none of the things yeah, they cut, yeah. you'd even know were gone. Well, well just, just think of, like, Apparently, Trump appoints a, a, a guy, Alex Brunberg, who I know, to be the ambassador of the Euro European Union. He goes over to Geneva, and they're paying outrageous, uh, outrageous lease fee for this huge, big building in which he's not going to be ambassador. Trump gets words this. He closes down the lease, cuts it off, took the money, and bought a smaller facility for our own embassy there. And just examples like that. And I'm told, uh, what did Nancy Pelosi spend for all these pens that like several thousand dollars? Oh, you're so crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm told that, that Trump called up Sharpie and he, and he got like 2,000 pens for a buck apiece. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. See, but that's this what you need. A, you need yeah. business people. You need business people yeah. who understand the value of earning it as opposed to wasting it because it's somebody else's money. You know, they're used to writing a check out of their own bank account to cover people's salaries and paychecks, yeah. just like you know. Yeah, that's what's so uh, distressing about Obama's cabinet. Only had eight percent people with with uh, private uh, enterprise experience. And you're exactly right. If you're if you're working at a university or or any of these uh, social entities, your whole income is how you can convince donors to give you money. It isn't a customer giving a uh, money to a provider of a product or service that that customer wants. And so it's a whole different dynamic. And I hope in, in the uh, efforts I can extend going forward, I can always remember those eight welders who I don't know their names. I never talked to them for all I know. They, 
they they don't embrace my values at all. But uh, just spiritually and mentally, I, I have that vision, and this is kind of where I came from when I, you know, I had a paper out and lemonade stands and mowed lawns and stuff. And so uh, the fact that God has blessed me with more money than, than I ever dreamed I would have doesn't change my motivation and remember, you know, the people I grew up with. And that's what you mentioned earlier. I mean, it's about being humble and serving others. And that's really just what your heart's all about. And probably that's, a, there's a, there's a reason why you were so successful as you said in the, in the movie or the video that I watched, they were one of the, 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 uh, the host was asking you a question. You're like, this ain't my money. It's the Lord's money. If it was my money, you wouldn't get a red cent. <laughs> so, yeah, That's I mean, so it's, it's, you, there's a reason why the success was there, because uh, it was God knew that you would do the right things with it when the time came. And um, that's probably part of the reason why you started Foster's Art right, Outriders. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit to give uh, because I know people want to know what you're doing and how they can join him in even your philanthropic work. I mean, one of my, my, my great listeners and, and, and expert contributors on, my, on our show, Everything Home, Nin Rafat, she said, Michelle, how can I join him in, in these philanthropic efforts? What can I do? Well, uh, you're so nice to ask. And, and uh, I, when people say I'm a nice guy, I, then I'm motivated to try to do some of these nice things. But if you check with any of my friends, I don't think anyone will, will tell you that I'm all that humble. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't pass muster. I don't quite pass muster there. But in addition to this effort to get this one line piece of legislation so people can avoid surprise billings and know what, what they have to pay before they go in to consume some health care services or products. One, of, I have a, one is uh, ACE scholarships. ACE is the term they use for scholarships. It's actually an acronym, which they don't. They, they, they use the acronym instead of for choice and education. Based out of Denver, 19 years ago, Alex Cranberg, a wealthy, successful oil guy, suddenly uh, took his kid to school and then saw little kids who couldn't go to his school, at the private school, his kids kids went. So he started a program giving partial scholarships to low-income kids to attend private schools. And uh, I think over the 19 years, there maybe 25, 35,000 kids who have graduated at a 94% rate and and have uh, a much higher rate of graduation from college than their uh, low-income peers. And so the mom, maybe a single mom with three three jobs, a couple of jobs, she might be making 35, 40. She might put a 2,000, 1,000 in it, so she's going to make sure that kid does homework at night. And so the fact that the parents have skin in the game and the other magic to it is it's a partial scholarship, which utilizes all these empty seats in all these little schools around the country, private schools, which are empty chairs because they don't fill them up with tuition paying students. So the, the, the schools provide these empty seats. And I, I just believe uh, ACE scholarships is something everyone can contribute to because it's just a matter of, you know, financing the a kid's education and think of, you know, it just makes my skin crawl to think I could wind up with money left over. And there's a few of these moms and kids who aren't financed to, to go to school. I was blessed uh, to go through uh, uh, East, uh, George Eastman, Eastman's uh, uh, museum, the founder of Eastman Kodak. And he had a picture and next to him was a phrase, any man who lets his trustees give away his, uh, uh, his assets is a damn fool. 
and so uh, we're having a lot of fun trying to give it away before we uh, before we head on. And a, a, a second one is rachelschallenge.org. She was Rachel Scott was the first Columbine victim in in, uh, in Denver, 19 years Columbine actually 19 years ago. Since then, her father's taken that tragedy and presented like 20,000 schools and has averted seven school shootings, two of which the kids turned themselves in. And they get uh, uh, emails and letters every week. And now it, it's probably uh, averaged up to five suicides a week have been averted because they heard the presentation and said, you know, I want to live. And the message that Rachel Scott had was, Instead of telling kids what not to do, don't bully, don't use drugs, tells them what they can do. And that is positive impact the life of another human being by creating a chain reaction of kindness. And that was her whole life. And now people uh, are emulating that. I sponsored in my hometown of Rice Lake, Wisconsin. is a very small community, 5,000 people when I grew up and it exploded in the innovating 80 years. It's all, all the way up to 10,000 now. But the, the principal wrote me an unsolicited letter and eight students wrote me a letter. So this has changed the whole climate of our, our school. It's created a sense of connectedness. And in other schools around the country, the Rachel's Challenge people have a story of two gang leaders taking off their respective colors and hugging one another. And another instance where this kid uh, turned to the eight people who have been bullying, and he tears up and cries and says, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And then they all surround and hug them and say, we forgive you. I mean, it's just a magic, magic thing Rachel's Challenge is all about. And then uh, I don't want to go on too long here, but another one is left, right, left, right, forward, march. And the mantra is united Americans with opposing political views, the efforts they, two efforts they both embrace. So we have on the website Sheila Jackson Lee, one of the most liberal congresswomen from Houston, promoting school choice on the same podium with conservative Ted Cruz. And so there's a lot of things we can do on that score of, of uh, I, a few, about a year ago on Tucker Carlson's show announced the National Coffee Challenge and said I'd pay, I'd pay uh, for people's coffee if they took out someone with whom they disagreed and trying to uh, develop a relationship. And I took out Nadal, I have a gap on her name. But anyway, the woman in St. Louis legislature who said Trump should be uh, assassinated. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nadal Smith, or anyway, I had uh, not only coffee with her, but uh, went to church with her, and we were on the front page of the St. Louis newspaper, and she said, you knew I did something wrong and sent Trump uh, an apology letter. So left, right, left, right is another one, and I talked about patientsusa.com, and uh, a big one uh, where Charlie Kirk is, is, is gathering college conservatives to give them confidence to offset the, uh, the the socialism that are taught the other kids. And so they, they have a mantra, big government sucks. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, very appropriate uh, terminology for the, uh, the kids in college. And he's now on over a thousand high school and college campuses and it's called turning point USA. And uh, they just had a big fundraiser in Mar Largo. And after, uh, seven and a half years, they, they just raised, uh, I actually was grateful to see they raised $12 million to support his efforts. And Charlie said when he left high school, can I have a year's, uh, uh, what do you call it, a year uh, slack or whatever? And uh, the parents said, sure, go ahead. Well, it's now seven and a half years, gap years. He has seven and a half gap years. So as an 18-year-old kid, he got this uh, idea 
met me in uh, the the uh, Tampa uh, convention for Republicans, and I met him in the stairwell and, and said, hey, this guy's got something going on. So I've been one of his earliest supporters. So those are uh, uh, a bunch of them. But to, to, to get to Foster's Outrider, which is kind of Foster's Outrider, which is kind of the, the blanket group of all these efforts, that's in honor of the people that helped the miraculous victory in the Republican gubernatorial primary uh, last year when I ran for governor of Wyoming. Wow. I, you know, I'm glad that you uh, were a huge supporter, Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA, because the work that he's doing is just amazing. Uh, and as, as we mentioned earlier, it, it's really hopefully repositioning the ideology of the young kids nowadays. Yeah, so Foster's Outriders is kind of uh, the umbrella group of all these, if you will, and and also some of our other charities which range uh, to water missions, which provides uh, water purification units in in Africa and and Dorian when that got slammed, and uh, 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 there's another one which is called International Justice Mission, which goes to foreign countries and prosecutes people who are in child slavery and so but but the fosters outriders is kind of the umbrella and it came about as i mentioned because of the success of our gubernatorial campaign in wyoming last year where everybody had a head start four five six months some guy a couple of years had started run several times and we had 119 days so the poll showed that we were 58 percent recognition in the county in which we live but in the other 22 counties in wyoming we had one percent obscurity we weren't even up to low-fat milk in our rating and so 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 119 days later with all the help president trump endorsed me donald trump jr not only endorsed me but uh uh, called into three radio stations to promote my candidacy Uh, chuck norris uh, sent in a uh, endorsement and made point that yesterday he counted to infinity twice so i I had a lot of good endorsements and a lot of hard-working people young teenage uh, women students at at the intersection waving the uh, placards you know freeze for governor so we wind up winning the most Republican votes of any of the other Republican candidates by 1,330. But uh, when we were leading the polls by 3%, three days before, uh, a prominent Democrat came in and said, wait a minute, we can't let this Trump guy run our state. So if you go into the primary for Republicans and uh, fill out the form, changing your registration to Democratic Party, ask for a Republican ballot and vote for another candidate, who is more moderate, and then we'll have a choice between him and the Democratic candidate. So that maneuver uh, put me in second place. I wiped out my uh, lead and, and then some, and so now I'm uh, here on a golf course talking to you rather than 20-degree brothers in Cheyenne. <laughs> but you know what? I, I just I think you would have a little bit of an issue being – in the government as opposed to the influence and the accomplishments you can make because it's not very organized. It's just, like you said, a lot of waste and, and people aren't thinking and they're, they're just on, they're not on the same page with you. So uh, maybe it's a good thing that that happened because look how much you can do by not being in that seat. Yeah. And the, these, these things I just mentioned are, are very impactful. I mean, just the getting a one line legislation on publishing prices could have enormous ramifications. And, and so that's what I'm going to be evaluating as I do a listening tour through Wyoming to say, okay, where can I be most effective as a private citizen or 
or uh, having this John Kyle, who served 26 years, said I ought to go talk to to find out what it's like to be in a new new guy on the block and one of a hundred. And so I I just hope uh, you know, the Lord will kind of give me some clue as I make this trip to find out uh, where can I be most impactful because the current governor had to deal with a, a uh, flooded out irrigation ditch and then he has to put a robe on a new Supreme Court justice and then uh, <laughs> you know this, what are you going to do with that <laughs> yeah they, they, they're not as interesting to me as the school shootings and uh, and uh, health care reform and all the other things that our society needs so one of the things I hope to achieve is is restoring a sense of uh, kindness. I uh, I ran on on pros- uh, freedom, prosperity, and kindness. And then after uh, into the campaign, it suddenly became aware that the real slogan morphed to transparency, transparency, transparency. As Wyoming was one of three states that didn't reveal the uh, state checkbook to the uh, to the voters, and so now mm-hmm. they are in the process of doing that. So I accomplished that just during the run. And also, uh, we've got I think over 20 schools with Rachel's challenge already, and the, uh, the the Rachel Scott's father is committed. He thinks he can get every school covered by the end of uh, 2022 uh, in about you know two years or so. So things are moving uh, very nicely in that regard. And all of this information is on fosterfreeze.com, correct? Yes. Yes. Right. There's a, there's a lot of information. We're still we're in the process of reorganizing that, but the the one that uh, we just are in the process of revamping, hope it'll be done by 3 p.m. today, is patientsusa.com, which spells out the importance of uh, transparency. And uh, all of them are impactful. Obviously, uh, Rachel's challenge, if you can stop one school shooting, that's pretty Im- impactful. But uh, right now, that's our main emphasis is on having all providers of healthcare products and services to the public to publish in print and on the internet uh, cash cash prices 90 days after the legislation is signed. And President Trump signed a transparency bill, uh, executive order, as you know, which uh, I was invited to be there at the signing because of the work I've been involved with transparency. But I did not necessarily favor the idea of the transparency that orchestrator was finding out the deals struck between the insurance companies and the hospitals which it's unclear how that helps me as compared to know what I have to pay for cash. And and there's all kinds of lawsuits now to block that executive order. And then I met with Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, and he said, I think I can do this through executive order because we pay a hospital's Medicare and Medicaid. Well, this bill I'm talking about includes the lab work, uh, you know, the magnetic resonance imaging, and includes everything beyond just hospitals. and also. Uh, his transparency was an edict from on high where he said all the drug, all the pharmaceutical companies have to reveal their prices to the pharmacies. Well, to me, that that doesn't uh, give me a lot of clue because a given pharmaceutical company can charge a different company to Walmart, the Walgreens and CVS. What I want to know is what those three entities are going to charge me. And uh, I had a number of instances where a woman who passed out prescriptions at a hospital, gave it to a Walmart customer, paid $4. The same identical prescription 10 days later was to a different pharmacy for $40. So there's all kinds of these opportunities to uh, bring prices down as 
the direct provider care people are uh, achieving. Yeah, it seems like they just kind of throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. And some people pay attention, some people don't. And it'll somehow average out that the, uh, the money gets into their pocket. So it's just, it, it's, it's it, a mess. It, but it sounds like you've got the it, solutions or at least some, some positive movement happening soon. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and uh, it's incremental. I think a big problem our legislators have, they want to throw all kinds of issues in the same bill. So in Wyoming, you can only have one topic and one bill. And I think if we had more of that in the U.S. Senate and just dealt with things incrementally, we'd get things, more things done more quickly. And uh, the the other uh, aspect of uh, messaging, too, is is how you define things, which we've talked about a lot during this uh, conversation. There's so many things people could be doing if we could get them out of their rocking chair and have them look in the mirror and say, look how God has blessed me with wealth, with, with, uh, with energy, with health, with influence, with time, and, and just say, hey, I'm going to go out and make a difference in, in well, the world. Well, just experience. And, uh, you know, those people have yeah. experience. They have stories. They have, they've done uh, some amazing things in their life, even if they don't think that they have, that they could share that with others. And like, I, I'm, I'm glad you're trying to get them out of, like you said, the rocking chair and to participate. Yeah, during the listening tour, I hope I can inspire that and also get people thinking more about how do we how do we make America, starting with Wyoming, a Philippians 4-8 land. And I said Philippians 4-8 earlier, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is honest, whatever is pure, whatever is deserving of praise, dwell on these things. And with, uh, with more kindness and civility and, and with more uh, uh, older people getting engaged, those are two nice things I hope I can accomplish, as well as the very specific projects that I mentioned uh, earlier. Yeah, and no matter what you're doing, you're 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 like uh, it touches you touches it turns to gold. I mean, you're an inspiration for every generation, and we need more leaders like you who uh, are the age of eighty doing yet new projects and looking at new endeavors and talking about even running for for office. I mean, that is just that is an amazing inspiration, and and, and people should look up and inspire to be more like you. The world would be a better place. You wouldn't have to worry about preaching kindness. It would it would already be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for the impact you've had with all of your radio programs and um, the thousands and thousands of people that you've influenced. That's uh, you're an inspiration to me, and I'm just so grateful to be able to share this time with you. And uh, I hope, hope we I do get a chance to meet sometime soon. Oh, definitely. Definitely, Foster. I mean, uh, you're welcome to come on the show at any time. I mean, if you want to talk about updates, give give a, give in some information on the different organizations or what you're personally doing, these accomplishments. I mean, more people need to know uh, and, and be more involved. And that's how you do it. You've got to get the message out. My job is just to share other people's stories and, and help promote good people doing good business and good things. And you, you are the king of that my friend. So, well, uh, you're, you're nice to say that. You're so nice to say that. And I hope, uh, you know, when you look at Kobe Bryant at age 41, his opportunity to serve has been limited. And that's another thing that makes me feel, you know, I've, I've been blessed with the opportunity just to be alive so I can be a, be a channel of God's love to others and how much fun that is when we, uh, when I feel that's happening. It's just uh, so rewarding. I, I had, uh, my dad had uh, three siblings. My mother had, uh, 
seven siblings. So out of the 12 of that prior generation, I think five or six made it to over 100, or a lot of them made it in the 90s. So hopefully my genes will uh, will uh, keep me going. But I still want to repeat the earlier definition uh, when early in the show where I said youth is when your ambitions for tomorrow exceed your accomplishments of the past. So I hope I can stay youthful for a while. And I think that is a perfect ending to a, an amazing interview and a time that I spent with you today. And and I am so excited that uh, we have a newfound friendship and you're going to be sharing your updates and stories with our with our audience. And like you said, we need more foster freezes out there. We need more foster freezes, people. <laughs> Well, well thank you're, 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 ni- you're <laughs> nice to say that and uh, make sure I have all your contact information in case I want to remember you in my will. Oh, <laughs> that is definitely, I'll send you my wiring instructions and everything else. So don't worry about that little package. <laughs> well, okay. got that taken care okay. of. Oh, okay. Foster, God you've been wonderful. I thank you so much okay. for everything. I okay, bye-bye. An amazing interview with Foster Freeze. We took up a lot of time, but it was definitely amazing and worth it. So I hope everyone enjoyed the show. You've been listening to Everything Home with Michelle Swinnick. Life, laughter, and the pursuit of happiness. To meet, learn from, and hire the experts and the guests, professionals, and members of the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and Marketplace, visit everythinghometalkshow.com slash episodes. And to listen, subscribe, rate, review, like, follow, comment, and share, go to www.everythinghometalkshow.com and find us on all the major listening platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you were entertained and we hope that you picked up some real life tangible takeaways from some good people doing good business and good things. Till next time, this is Everything Home, signing off. Did you know 63% of consumers prefer to buy from purpose-driven brands and businesses that reflect their own values, beliefs, and support charitable causes? Promos for a Purpose provides business owners with ways to support worthy causes and promote their brands at the same time with its comprehensive done-for-you marketing and media program. Visit www.promosforapurpose.com for more information. Promosforapurpose.com Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.